Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a proud daddy, and uh, she's making me feel really old. (laughs) Wasn't she just born the other day? Stand with me this morning. What a great time we've already had. We've already had a great service this morning. We've already felt the wonderful presence of God this morning. I want to share a couple of things with you. No no secret, but we just haven't shared it. But we we had a a planning meeting this this past week. And um, we're talking about the future. And I I believe the future at Ray of Hope looks very, very bright. We're entering a new season. And we're excited about the new season that we're entering into. Um, uh, One of our elders, uh, Randy Smith, uh, over to my left, uh, shared with us that within 12 months, we'll have all the facilities uh, paid for here at Ray of Hope. Wouldn't that be a great thing? We're talking about multi-millions of dollars that we have uh, serviced the debt on this. And we started with uh, well over a million dollars when we started this campus. And we've added to it and added to it. We're getting ready to add to it again. We're going to start raising money here in the next few days to, uh, to build our youth and our children's center, which is 27,000 square feet, only about four or five million dollars. That's not much if you say it real fast. I always like what the, the preacher said. He said, I got good news and bad news. The, 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 the good news is, is uh, all the money to build that is uh, already here. The bad news is it's still in your pocket. So. <laughs> but we're, we're going to take that journey, and, and we're excited about that journey. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Pick up your Bible. We're going to look at just a portion of the passage, and we're going to get into the message. In chapter 2 of the book of Ruth, The Bible says there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose side I might find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we've already felt, the power of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you're leading us to a new season, and we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. I love the word of God. The word of God is more powerful than motivational speaking. It's more powerful than philosophy and Counsel. Matter of fact, the best philosophical mindset, the best counsel you can get, the best motivation you could ever get is from the Word of God. It is supernatural. It's miraculous. The Bible says of itself that we can learn from those who've gone before us, and they're written for our learning today. Even though it's a book of antiquity, it instructs us in our path right now, today. So if you're wanting to know how to enter your new season, how to get to the next chapter of your life, how to move forward, how many of you believe the Word of God tells us how? God drops the nuggets before us. He gives us the insight, how to progress, how to move forward, how to conquer the things that we're facing in our own personal life. Now, this story, and I'm going to deliver it to you as a story, but how many of you know the reality of the story? There was a man from Bethlehem. He married a woman by the name of Naomi. There was a famine in the land, 
And so they felt like they had to leave to go to another place to find food. They left Bethlehem and they went to Moab. Now Moab is a heathenistic country. They serve false gods. They're idolaters. They're very uh, crude in their practice of worship and lifestyle. Matter of fact, they served the chief god Chumash, which required human sacrifice. And there is biblical record where they sacrificed humans to this god. And so they leave and they go to the land of Moab and they have two sons. The sons grow up and they marry. But soon as they get over there and they begin their new life, the father dies. So now Naomi is left as a widow. And then it's not too long that the two sons die. Now there's about a 10-year period that the Bible gives us in this account, this story. But these two boys married two women from Moab. One's named Ruth. The other one is, uh, her name's what? It's not, not Oprah. It's Orpah. <laughs> Just wanted to get that straight, okay? It's Orpah. So... Ruth and Orpah marry the two sons, but then the sons die. So now, without a husband, without sons, Naomi decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem and start her new life. And she tells the two daughter-in-laws, if you need to go home, go back to your mothers, go back to your people, because I have nothing to offer you. No more sons, I have nothing, I'm destitute, matter of fact, I'd like to change my name to Mara because I'm a bitter woman right now. How many of you know you don't want to deal with a bitter woman? Be careful how you answer that. And so now she's headed back and the daughter-in-laws act like they want to go back with her. And she turns and says, now listen, if you need to go back, go back. I'm going to suggest you go back. And so three times she makes this appeal. And the third time, Orpah turns and she goes back. She weeps, she cries, but she goes back to her old life, her old ways. But Ruth, the Bible says she clave to her mother-in-law. She clung to her mother-in-law. And these are the famous words that Ruth would speak to us. She said, where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. She said, where you die... Where you're buried, there will I be. And so Ruth claved her mother-in-law, and Ruth decided that she's going to go back with Naomi. Now, now Orpah turned, she went back, and from the, the biblical history, we, we have no more biblical account of Orpah, but I want to talk about that here in just a little bit. But Ruth goes back with Naomi, they come back to Bethlehem, and she is known, Ruth is known as Ruth the Moabitess throughout this story until the end of the story. Now, they have nothing. I'm talking about destitute. They, they have nothing, but a new chapter is about to open in their lives. How, how many of you are glad God is the God of a new chapter? He's the God of a new beginning. There's a new season getting ready to start in their life. Sometimes I wish God would work in moments. Sometimes I wish he'd work in hours. Sometimes a week would be good for me or a month. But God historically works by seasons. We're in the season of winter. When we get good and tired of that, we'll have a new season. Spring will arrive, and, and then summer, and then fall, and, and then we'll have a new season. God, God works by seasons. And now they're back, and the people greet uh, Naomi, and they get introduced to Ruth. But 
Let me say this again. They have absolutely nothing. So Ruth says, Naomi, I'm going to go to the fields. You, you have a custom here in Judah. There's a custom under the Levitical law that we can glean fields. And I'm going to go out and glean the fields. And she goes out. And if you'd notice in your Bible, in the King James Bible, it says, by hap, she lighted and landed on a certain field. Now, when I read that the first time in my Bible, I said, by hap. I mean, what does that mean? It's where we get the word happenstance. It just so happened that she came to a certain field, and the field belonged to a man by the name of Boaz. And she's gleaning, and, and after a hard day's work, now let me just give you a little background here. What, what they did, the welfare system of Judah and Israel at that time, if you had farms and fields, you were told that you could not harvest the corners of the fields. And if you dropped anything on the ground, you could not pick it up. Because the people who were less fortunate, the people who need a welfare system, they could come and work and pick up, even though they did not plant it nor harvest it, they could have what was left in the corners or what was dropped. How many of you know it's all right to have a welfare system where people work to get what they need? That would help America, wouldn't it? However, Ruth goes out. She's gleaning the corners of the fields. If someone drops something, she could get it. A full day's work, probably 12 hours, she doesn't get enough to fill two Brahms milk cartons full of seed. Now, say, Pastor, why would you say that? Because I looked it up. That's about how much it was. So she comes back that evening, and she says, Naomi, we have enough to eat. It's not much, but this is what I work for all day. And, uh, and Naomi said, well, well, where did you go glean? Well, I went to this field, and I gleaned in this field. It just so happens it belongs to a guy by the name of Boaz. And Naomi, she sparks up and says, he is related to my husband. He is one of our kinsmen redeemer which literally means that this person could come in if Naomi has any inheritance, if she has anything, they can come in and redeem that and even take them in to their care. And so this is the story. Two women, one bitter, one that seemingly has no future, no place to go, and now God is fixing to take them in a whole new season. Let me tell you something about you. Sometimes we come here and we have loss. There's been death, tragedy, we have lack, and we think, God, what in the world's going on in our life? And God is saying, I'm fixing to open, open up a whole new chapter for you. I'm going to give you a whole new season. Chapter 3, go, go with me to chapter 3. In chapter 3, the Bible says that Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you or a place for you, that you may be well? You, you need a place where you will be well. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be that when he lies down, you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, there are some keys here to move into a new season. How many of you believe God drops nuggets for us? When we understand the character of God, the way God operates by the Word of God, because the Word is God, and God is the Word. Can I hear an amen? So what, what is Naomi saying? Boy, what a wise woman here. She says, Ruth, there's a destination for you. There's a place for you. That place is at the threshing floor of Boaz. Boaz. 
Don't go anywhere else. Matter of fact, this is what Boaz has already said to Ruth. Don't glean in under the fields. Come to my field. Now, Naomi, how many of you know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. But Boaz says it at the beginning. Now, Naomi confirms this word. Don't go anywhere else, but you go to the threshing floor of Boaz. But notice here, let's go on this journey. Naomi tells her what to do. Here's number one. Wash yourself. Say that with me. Wash yourself. Now let's all say it. Here we go. Wash yourself. Ruth, you're going to go there. Boaz will be there. But the first thing you need to do is wash yourself. My friends, every one of us on our journeys, whether it is grief or pain or failure or fault or we have messed up or we have uh, had some type of sin in our life, there needs to be a cleansing in our life. Do you agree with that? No need to carry on that filth another step. No need to carry that on another day. Hey, wash yourself, Ruth. You know, that's a good message for every one of us. Matter of fact, we need to continually wash ourselves. Let me give you some verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, 26. The Bible is talking about the church, and Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the word. Every day in your life, if you will pick up the word, if you'll read a little bit of the word, if, if you will come here for services, how about a new season for you and I that we make a commitment that every Sunday we're going to be here? That every Sunday we're going to make a commitment to be here. That every Sunday we're going to invite someone to come here. Why? Because every time we hear the word preached and taught and someone gets up here, you know what's happening? The word is washing us. We are getting some stuff out of us that we don't need and God is putting some stuff into us that we desperately need. It is the washing by the word of God. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Paul is rehearsing his conversion. And he gives us some insight what was said when Ananias come to lay hands on him and pray for his sight to be restored. Listen to the words of Paul. Paul says, Ananias came in and says, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, friends, baptism in itself will not save you, but how many of you know it will identify you with the one who did save you? That we take on the nature and the name of Jesus Christ. The old man is washed away and the new man springs forth. A picture of the resurrection. Dead in Christ, but resurrected with him. Amen. It's the washing of the water by the word. It's the washing by the name that's above every name. And so there... Again, Paul speaks to Titus and he says that you and I are not saved by works of righteousness which we've done. How many of you know you can't be righteous enough to be saved? If you could, Jesus would have not needed to come. You can't be smart enough, good enough, good-looking enough, rich enough, educated enough. You can't be moral enough or holy enough. Can I hear an amen? It took the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So here Paul says, it's not by the works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. 
Ruth, what you need to do, number one, wash yourself. Don't show up there dirty. I know you've been working out in the fields. I know this is hard work, but you're going to go meet Boaz. Wash yourself, Ruth. Here's the second thing. Anoint yourself. Say that with me. Anoint yourself. Let's all say it. Anoint yourself. So wash yourself, and then you anoint yourself. Now here's the key. If you don't wash yourself, you just anoint the same old grit and grime right on yourself. There's nothing worse than some gritty lotion. That'll hang with you. You know what you do before you anoint yourself? You wash yourself. Before you anoint yourself, you wash yourself. How many people in the church are wanting the anointing before they got the washing? That's good preaching. I know it when I hear it. How many people are wanting the anointing of God before they've had the washing of God? Do you believe there is a sequence here? There's some sacred sequence right here? First thing, Ruth, you do is you wash yourself. Then the next thing you do is you anoint yourself. The anointing was for sanctification. The anointing was for consecration. The anointing also was perfume. You smell good. Not only do I want you to show up clean, Ruth, I want you to show up smelling good. How many of you sprayed some smell good on you before you left? If they didn't raise their hand, scoot over a little further. Oh, I do this. I, I wash myself. Then, then I spray some foo-foo stuff on me. Try to smell the best I can. Wash yourself, Ruth. Anoint yourself. The psalmist says the anointing calls our face to shine. The anointing can run down our head to the skirts of our garment, down to our feet. You know what happens if the anointing starts at your head and goes all the way to your feet? Everywhere you walk, you leave a little bit of the remain of your anointing wherever you go. Wash yourself, Ruth. Anoint yourself, Ruth, and put on your best clothes. How many of you know my best may not be somebody else's best? Your best may not be somebody else's best. But how many of you know just put on your best? Ruth, I know we, we came from Moab. It's been a long journey. We have no money. We have really no food. We're starting a new chapter in our life. This is a new season for us. But Ruth, put on your best clothes. Don't show up there with just some old ragtag stuff. Come on, Ruth. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Let me read something out of Isaiah chapter 61. You'll recognize the verses before this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. But when you get down a little bit further, it says, To console those who mourn in Zion, verse 3. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, there's something interesting in verse 3 here. He talks about the oil before the garment. He says, okay, you should have the oil of joy, and then you should put on the garment of praise. Your attention, please. You've got to put on the garment. God can give you the garment, but you have to put it on. When I came in this morning early... For the early service, I didn't have a good morning. I'm going to just confess with you, I didn't have a good morning. How many of you had just a super fantastic 
zippity doo all morning. Okay, several of you did. How many of you were challenged a little bit this morning? Okay, we got more challenges than zippity doo dahs. But let me tell you what I had to do this morning. I had to come in here, I had to gird up the loins of my mind, and I had to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Or I could have continued in the spirit of heaviness. But you've got to put on the garment. So when Wailing gets up here and Wendy gets up here and we enter into worship and praise or whether it's the preaching or teaching, you, you have two choices. You can either keep the old heaviness on or you can put on the garment of praise. You say, well, Pastor, I don't feel like putting on the garment of praise. There's nothing in this verse that says you respond by feelings. How many of you know you and I respond by faith? That's how we respond. We respond by faith, not feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight, not by feelings, not by emotions. You and I have to put on the garment of praise. Let me tell you, Job in his life and everything was falling apart, he had to put on the garment of praise. He had to put on, blessed be the Lord, because he didn't feel like it. He didn't see it, but he put it on. Ruth put on your best garments. In Acts chapter 12, th there's this story. Remember that Herod killed John with a sword, and he has Peter in prison, and he's fixing to kill Peter. And Peter's chained between the guards. The church is praying. Thank God for a praying church. Peter's chained in prison between the guards. And through those prayers and through the providence of God and through the graciousness of God, God dispatched an angel from heaven. That angel went right into that prison. And the Bible says, smote Peter on the side. So Peter was probably taking a power nap. So Peter's chained, got his eyes closed. The angel comes, and the angel literally had to smack Peter on the side and said, hey, wake up. Get up, put on your sandals, and put on your garments. Now, I underline this in my Bible. If you'd like to underline it, that's fine too. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did and said unto him, put on your garment and follow me. Put your clothes on and follow me. Have you ever felt like telling somebody, put your big girl panties on and get up and let's go? I deserve a better amen than that. Come on, get up, put your clothes on, follow me. Peter could have said, well, I can't follow you because I... But you know, when he began to get up, you know what happened to the chains? They fell off. What would happen if you decided today... God has a whole new season for me and I'm going to get up and I'm going to do exactly what the angel said. I'm going to put on my best garments. I'm going to put on my best face. I'm going to wash my face. I'm going to anoint my face. I'm going to put on my best clothes and I'm going to follow him. I believe God's going to open up a whole new season for me. I'm going to go a whole different direction. Put on your garments and follow me. Now, now notice something here. Not only did the angel bring Peter out of the prison, put on your garments, follow me. But Naomi says this to Ruth. There is an appropriate timing 
in this saga that you're living, Ruth. You wash yourself, you anoint yourself, put on your best garment. And then you go in, but you wait until he's eaten, he's drank, he's bedded down, and then you go and find yourself at his feet. You know, there's a way to approach God. There's a way to approach your transition. There, there, there's a way to approach your season. Can I tell you it's humbly? It's coming in humility. It's coming in a, a way that you, you don't get lifted up. You don't come prideful. You, you don't come in arrogance. You, you don't come in rudeness. You don't come in some bombastic spirit. You know what you do? You humbly come at the feet of the Lord. Now notice what they call Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. So Ruth is coming, and she's hearing the words of an older woman. How many of you know we need some older women to speak into the lives of younger women here? I found out you better do everything before you're 20. Because that's the only time you know it all. <laughs> it's really true. We had a guy working for us one time. And uh, he was always telling dad how to do something. He was about 30. Dad's 81, over 81 now. And I thought, how long is this conversation going to go? How many of you know my dad? It's not going to go very long. And so finally, in the middle of the conversation, Dad said, Son, I forgot more than you know. Dad could take a pair of pliers and bailing wire and some duct tape and fix the space shuttle. I'm just saying. But here's an older woman speaking to a younger woman. Can I tell you what probably the age of Ruth is? She's probably 25, 26. He'd say, what, are you a prognosticator? From the text and from culture, the 10-year span would probably put Ruth about 25 or 26 years old. So here's the 25, 26-year-old taking the instruction of an older woman. And this older woman says, when you go in, you come at his feet. Because he needs to know that you realize your position. Ladies, I'm not really talking about women. I'm talking about every one of us. We come in the spirit of humility. You know, Jesus came meek and mild and lowly. And we need to put on that same nature. We have a Father in heaven that you and I need to come in humility and humbleness. Let me give you some good advice. Keep, keep your stool pretty close to the ground because when you fall off, you don't have that far to go. There, there's a way to approach him, Ruth. When he is fed, when he has drunk, when he is resting, come and, and find yourself at his feet and uncover his feet, and then about midnight, everybody say midnight. midnight. Boaz woke up. I guess his feet were cold. 
But he looks down at his feet, and guess who's lying there? Ruth. I, I picture in my mind, he, he looks down, and he sees Ruth, and he takes the blanket, and not only does he cover his feet up, I think he throws it over Ruth. A new covering, a new season, a new chapter is about to happen in her life. You, you see, the story before the story that I've told you, right in between the lines, when she first shows up at the field, and, and Boaz looks out there and he sees a stranger, and he says, he punches somebody and says, who's the good-looking 25-year-old out there? And someone said, that's Ruth the Moabitess. She came back. She's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Some of your relatives that just came back to Bethlehem. And then when Ruth tried to introduce herself, you know what Boaz says? I know who you are. And I've heard the kindness and the favor that you gave to your mother-in-law, Naomi, which is a relative. And so now she's at the feet of Boaz. He covers her at the threshing floor. And this story is an amazing love story. Because he redeems her and Naomi and their property, and he ends up marrying Ruth. Now, if you have a pencil and paper, I want you to write some things down. Now, we're going to close with this. Do you know who Boaz's mother is? Okay. Here we are. We're in the book of Ruth. Everybody say Ruth, which follows the book of Judges. So Israel has come into the Canaan land, the promised land. They're conquering the land. Now Joshua, who is the leader, he dies. So the next rule, if you will, or the next administration is through a series of judges that raise up. So Ruth is raised up. This story of Naomi and Ruth is right in the middle of the time of the judges. But Boaz, mother, is a woman by the name of Rahab that you know is Rahab the harlot. Because when they went in to conquer the land, the only family that was spared in the walls of Jericho was one family that was under the scarlet thread or rope or ribbon, if you will, representing the blood of Jesus Christ. There was only one family that was saved, and it was the family of Rahab the harlot. And then she later married someone from Israel, and they had a bouncing baby boy and named him Boaz. And now Boaz is marrying Ruth. I wonder why he did not hesitate marrying someone who was not originally from Israel. Dean? Because his mother wasn't originally from Israel. So, his mother births him. He marries Ruth, who's a Moabitess, and they have a baby by the name of Obed. And then Obed has a baby by the name of Jesse. And then Jesse has a baby by the name of David. Do you know Ruth is David's great grandmother? <laughs> Wow. Isn't this an amazing story? I'm talking about a whole new chapter for this lady. She comes with nothing. She comes as a widow. She comes as an outsider. She comes as strange, as an alien. But let me tell you about the grace of God. The grace of God just reaches out there and pulls you in. No matter what your background is. 
And friends, if the grace of God can do that under the old covenant, how much more under this covenant can faith and grace reach out and get a hold of you? You ever wonder what happened to Orpah? Well, the Bible is silent. We, we know that she turned and she went back. Here's something just to think about. Ruth Clave, she clung to her mother-in-law. Orpah shed tears, but she went back. This story is a classic story of two people with divergent paths. Both had a choice. It seemed like Orpah was going to make that choice. She got right down to it. She almost made that choice, but she didn't make that choice. Do you know you can be emotional and still reject Jesus Christ? You, you can be here today, and, and you can weep tears, and you can cry, and you can be remorseful, but if you don't really repent and accept him as Savior, you're still on the same path. So Orpah turned, and she went back. Ruth clung. She said, uh, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And guess what? She meant that. She served Jehovah God, but Orpah didn't. Let me tell you what rabbinical literature and the history of the rabbis say. This is amazing. They said that Orpah went back to the Moabite culture. She went back serving the idols and the false gods. She was, she was very... Uh, uh, she was, she was very sexual. She hooked up with a man from Palestine. Went back, had babies, five boys. One of them was named Goliath of Gath. What a story. The Jewish rabbis say that Orpah became the mother of Goliath. There's, there's a saying in the Jewish writings that the one who clung his offspring defeated the one who cried. Powerful. The one who clung defeated the offspring of the one who cried. You see, about two generations from Ruth, a teenage boy would go out and fight a mature giant that their grandmothers and their mother once had a path that went two separate ways. A new season for each one of them. One was a bad season, one was a good season. It's about choice. Guess what I know about you? You'll have a good season if you decide to have a good one. Well, pastor, I don't feel like I'm going to have a good one. Get past your feelings. Put on the garment of praise. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Get to the right place. And guess what will happen? God will open up a whole new chapter for you. Is anybody here available for a new chapter? Anybody here need a new season? Maybe it's health, finance, marriage. Maybe it's a personal challenge, but I'm here to tell you, God is the God of new beginnings. God is the God of fresh opportunities. God is a God who loves you so much that he will give you a new season in your life. I believe that we've sown a lot of seed here in our community. We, we have sown seed in schools and communities and, and businesses and people's lives. I believe we're going to enter a season of harvest. Would you agree with that, with me? That we're going to enter a season of harvest. 
Well, we're entering a new season. It's not going to be without its challenges. Matter of fact, you're having it right now. But I'm looking forward to faith to a new season, just like Ruth. And Ruth, this is what you need to know. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on your best garments. Get to the right place. Come the right way. And God will give you a new season in your life. Bow your head with me right now. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.